Hello and welcome to the Heads and Volleys podcast with me, Lee Dunn. Today's episode is Redefining Success Part 2. And part two, I feel, is really important because part one was all about what you do for your players, what you do for the families that are members of part of your team or part of your club, and then really focusing now into what you do, what you continue to do, because you can do as much as you like in terms of redefining success for your players and setting targets for them and achievable goals. But then as a coach, it's very easy to become disheartened or disengaged when your team continues to lose or you don't feel like you're ever showing some, some progress or some success for yourself. So this is really going to be about what you are doing as well as what you're challenging your players and your families to do. I want to start with really revisiting the first episode of this, which was how you set up for success and consider before you even get on the field, what that plan looks like, what your season looks like, what your expectations are, and then really having that as a foundation to build from. So if it's your first season, there's going to be a very steep learning curve for you as to what is really achievable, what you can get out of your players, what you can expect from yourself and from the surrounding of your soccer club or from your team. So really understand that your preseason plan is is what you are setting out with. And it's something that I truly believe you have to stick with. It can be so easy to become derailed or start reacting to performances or to results or even pressures from other people in terms of trying to achieve results or trying to win games. But really, really stick to that preseason plan. Put a lot of thought into it, put a lot of care into it, and that will really help serve you and keep you focused in times of desperation, really, because nobody likes to lose and we all want to try and make something happen so that we don't lose. And your preseason plan is really going to be a place to start. My next point is going to be to consider what you're doing post-session. So for every practice you run or for every game you have, what do you do immediately afterwards? As your players are walking away, you've said, good game, you've done your cheer, you've packed up. But I like to take a minute or two minutes and I use my field notes manual and I just scribble down a couple of thoughts. So I do that all the time during the game anyway, but not so much during practice. During a lot of the practice, I tend to be kind of reacting to what's going on. I'm adjusting the field and I'll kind of get into the elements of the training session shortly. But really post-practice and post-session, just take a minute to write down your thoughts. Was it successful? Were the players engaged? Were they challenged? Were you able to get your point across to your players and did they understand? So ultimately, was there a success or was it really a mess and you may have been better just letting them play for the entire time because what you were trying to do was too complex or too difficult. And then in that case, that's really valuable feedback for yourself. And a lot of coaches may be running from field to field or off to another event, but this extra minute just helps you focus whilst you're in the heat of the moment. How did it really go? Be brutally honest with yourself. And this ultimately going to help you shape the way forwards. Part of my practice planning, I try and use similar or if not the same practices. When I introduce a, pla- a practice to my players, I'll find that most of the first session we do with it, whether it's 20 minutes, 25 minutes or whatever, is spent with them learning, learning the the rules, the nuances, the expectations our, there may be a formation that I've put in there or a, a certain way of playing for them. Now, 
when I introduce that, they spend that first session learning it. So the second time we do it, they actually understand what's being asked and now they can begin to solve the problem that I've presented to them. Then the third or the fourth time we do it, now they're almost becoming professional at what the actual practice is. They can play it, they know it. If I tell them, hey, this is the same practice that we did on this same field last week, they already know what's expected of them. So they can begin to get into the mindset of what they need to do to have success in that practice. Then I really like to challenge them, so I will always have some kind of variation, some kind of additional challenge where they understand the game and the game is still very similar or if not the same, but now there's an extra nuance in there. There's an extra skill challenge for them, such as a combination to break out or something like that that wasn't quite there before. Maybe it's something I've revisited because I really like the success that they got out of it. But really using the same practices helps the players to understand, but it also helps you as an individual too because you know what you're looking at. A lot of kind of foundational coaching licenses that I've taught, I always preach that the game is the best teacher. You can really understand a lot from the players playing the game because you can spend a lot of time watching. Many of us watch professional games and as we watch, we begin to increase our knowledge. We begin to see patterns of play. We begin to see the way certain players play. And that's no different for your players too. You put them in 4v4, 5v5 games, or if you have enough players to have full-sided games or an opponent on the same practice field, then you can see your players in the environment where you're actually able to influence so much more than you are on the game day. So definitely make as much advantage of having space to play games as possible. The more your players play, again, just like a practice session, their understanding is going to improve. So my first real kind of suggestion is to use the same practices or as many game-like practices as possible because they're really going to begin to understand more. Then along lines with that, I also use the same warm-ups, the same warm-ups, the same activation for my players because they know what's expected of them. They understand that those aspects of the practice or those aspects of the game are part of the preparation. And then we understand why we prepare because I ask the players, why are we doing a warm-up? Why do we do these 3v1 or 4v2 rondos? They understand why. Now, it's very easy for players to become comfortable in the situation where they do the same thing often. And so I'll use that as a constant reference. Hey, you told me why we do rondos. We do rondos because everything that's in the game is here, minus the goal and putting the ball in the goal. Is that what we're about to do in practice or in the game? Yes, it is. So can you tell me why you may be messing around right now or why you're not as focused right now? Can you tell me that? Is that the right way to prepare for this game? No, you know it's not. So that's my chance to refocus you. You know what's expected of you, so you can adjust your mindset to get into that practice, knowing that you're preparing for something else. You're, this isn't the be-all and end-all of the practice. This is the activation. This is the preparation for the players. And along lines of the, the practices and of the warm-ups, my final note on that is to ask for feedback. 
if you're lucky enough to work within an organization where you have a director of coaching or even a role model or a fellow coach that you can ask for feedback. What did you think of my practice? Here's my practice plan. Are you able to spend the first 20 minutes of my session just watching? I know you finish before me or you start after me. Would you mind coming a little early or staying a little later and just watching? We all need these role models that can provide feedback for us and help us along the way. They may see something that, and I've had the feedback myself too, where I think that the players are being challenged. And then from their feedback, they say, well, look, look how slow the game is going, for example, when really I may have just been watching the ball. So really pay attention to the people around you because they can give you so much feedback. And then along the same lines is ask your players. A lot of coaches tend not to ask their players or they believe that they are telling the players there is almost like a dictatorship of practice. It's this is what we're doing. Go do it. Now, some of us may be worried to ask our players for feedback because we might already know the answer in the no, that practice wasn't very exciting or it wasn't very challenging. Well, they will be brutally honest with you and it helps you to adjust your practice setting. Do you need to shorten the warm-up or do you need to increase the warm-up? If you're doing 3v1s and the players tend to be messing around, what are you doing whilst they're doing their rondos? If you're away setting up cones or, or moving goals or anything like that, then they have no reason to really focus because the, pl- the person that they're really focusing for isn't paying attention. So asking for the feedback from the players really increases their buy-in to the session too. So you've told me or you agree that a 3v1 is a great way to activate. Now you're in control of your own environment. Away you go. You've told me that this is the best way. Oh, you think 4v1 or 4v2 is better? Great. Let's set it up. Let's make it a little bigger, a bit smaller. And away you go. And then I'll also add time limits to a lot of the things I do as well. So it's only for 30 seconds. It's only for a minute. It's not open-ended so you can start with a really good intensity and then slowly tail off because you don't know where the end is coming from. Again, that all comes from feedback from my players. Was that really hard or was that really easy? It was really easy. Okay, I'm going to make it smaller. I'm going to make put more time into the session where you are going to do more reps at a shorter amount of time. So this is going to challenge you even further. To the five elements of every training session that you run, check out my blog on leadonsoccer.com. You'll see there is a, an article on there of the five elements of the training session. So there's five components that it's mainly come from U.S. soccer, but something that I definitely follow for everything I do where I ask myself these questions whilst the practice is going on. As I set up, I spend the first three, four, five minutes, A, making sure the players are, are safe and they're being they're, they're engaged, they are focused. But then I also ask myself these questions. So first one is organization. Is it organized? Is there equipment in the middle of the field? Are the cones all over the place? Are the lines wonky? Are the goals off center? Are there enough balls ready to get them straight back into place so that we're not wasting time if a ball is kicked away? Simple organization like that really helps you to keep the flow of the game if you're using time limits like I use all the time. 
and we're playing for two minutes, we can't spend 30 seconds fetching the ball from the other field because now we've lost 30 seconds of that play. That's only a minute and a half left to play. We're taking a few more seconds to get the ball in play. And now suddenly that two minute time limit is not really being maximized. So really paying attention to your organization. Organization can also be focused on when you make your session plan, knowing where you want all of the additional balls to go, where you're going to have cones handy if you need to make the field smaller, if you need to make it bigger, really preparing that way. The next thing is going to be game-like. Is it game-like? Does it look like a game? Is there a direction for both teams? Often you'll hear so much thought has gone into a practice that the attacking team will play here, they'll do this, they'll play there, then they'll score a goal. And then sure enough, the defenders get in the way because that's what you've asked them to do. And then the practice starts and the defender gets the ball. And then the entire practice stops when the defender says, what do I do now, coach? I've got the ball. What do I do? Well, it's not very game-like because in a game, that defender who is now an attacker because they've won the ball, what are they doing? They're going to be trying to score. They're going to try and retain possession. So having a counter goal for your players is so important to make it as game-like as possible. Traditionally, you may think of game-like as being, are there two goals and can we go from goal to goal and attack and defend, which is perfectly ideal. As I mentioned a moment ago, that is the best way I believe that these players are going to learn and you're going to improve as a coach too by watching and learning. However, game-like can also be to a couple of smaller goals and those smaller goals may be counter goals, which we explain as a player's feet in a game and also passing channels for the players to run on to. So it's as game-like as possible. You win the ball and you transition into attack. Transition is a huge part of the game that tends to get missed when you focus on one side of the ball and not the other. Then it's repetition. Kind of in line with organization, I use repetition in terms of setting up with multiple balls available so that as soon as the ball goes out, the ball is back in play. So if I'm posting, and I just recently posted a video on my Twitter of 4v4 to a goal. So the first four of red against the four of blue. They're playing within a square that's about 30 by 30. It's fairly big. And the activation for them to be able to go to goal is a through ball. We've been working a lot on breaking lines of pressure with a through ball. The players are very good with playing to their feet, but almost too much. So I want to be able to be kind of unpredictable at times where we have players running off the ball. We introduce those third man runs. So really using the players and making them become familiar with their feet, but then also anticipation of breaking the line and challenging and going forwards with the ball crossing a line or, or activating our play to goal. So the reward is you play a through ball, you get to go to goal. The goalkeeper saves it. The goalkeeper and the defending team then have a time frame, and I tend to give them 10, 15, 20 seconds, depending on the pace of play, for them to get out and try and counter to a counter goal. So they'll counter to a counter goal and then the ball starts again in the same area with the four reds in possession, trying to pick the lock again, playing the same way, trying to get that through ball, trying to get that break of the line to attack the goal. The repetition is there. I'll play this for three to four minutes and they'll probably get between probably eight to 10, depending on how quality they are with the ball, how much they're looking after it, if they're really focusing how hard the defensive team is working because if they're working really hard then there's a good chance that we're going to lose the ball a lot so 
if they're not working so hard, the players may spend a bit more time on it. So that's part of my management of the session and really making sure that the repetition is there for the players. Again, I'll do it over multiple weeks too. So the repetition is strong for them. They become familiar with playing in the right areas of the field. So when it gets to a game, the translation is fairly simple of... Remember this from practice. Remember what happened in this area. How do we break out of there? Feet is one option. And then what did we do in practice? So the repetition really encourages their behavior. Then I want to know if it's challenging. I'm watching and I'm looking at the pace of play, the amount of success. Challenging is going to be fair for both sides. So if you were to play nine versus one, or in this situation, we could play seven versus one instead of four v four. It's incredibly challenging for the one player against the seven, but it's not so challenging for the seven versus the one. Now, you'll see intensity begin to drop away. You will see silly decisions being made because it's not very real for them. It's not very game-like, and it's also not very challenging. So then I could play six v two. 5v3. Now, I'll start with 4v4, but then if it is really difficult, I will maybe drop a player away or I will turn that player into a fifth player to play that 5v3. And that may just be for a few minutes just to encourage success, just to encourage the players and show them that they can break this line, they can manipulate the ball well enough to break the pressure of the three players, and then it moves back to 4v4. So I show them, like a, uh, if you like, an easy way around it, and then move the ball back, now play 4v4 again to really challenge them. Now, if it's still too easy, 4v4, there are lots of changes I can make, and a part of that includes my organization. So I may look at shorter time limits so that they have to perform quicker and sharper. So now there's an, there's a time constraint on them. I may also change the size of the field. I may move the field in more. So we may lose five or 10 yards of playing space. So now it's much tighter on them. Their touch becomes more pressured. The defenders are automatically closer to them. That's really going to hamper their open space play, which they may have had when they had an extra 10 yards out on the wing. And I'll be really strict on them too. So that anytime that ball is given away, it goes straight to the defenders and the defenders get their chance to counter. Part of that also, I'll encourage any kind of transition moments to reward with a goal. And then we'll do something funny at the end. So you gave away four goals as the attacking team. You let the defenders counter on you four times. Well, you're going to jump up and down and sing I'm a fluffy star four times as a as a punishment, if you like, or as a as a joke about we've given the ball away now in a game that's a goal. So we get away with it lightly right here. But and I know there are coaches out there that will use punishments like push-ups or jumping jacks or burpees or anything like that. And you you do whatever you do. And there are times where I'll use that for sure. But for the most part, I want to encourage them to be brave on the ball. And they're not necessarily going to be the bravest, I believe, when there's a physical penalty of giving away multiple push-ups because they've given the ball away. Now we're creating players that are going to be safer with the ball. They may not want to take those chances or be as creative. And I think that's going to begin to hamper my practice. So again, that's my personal belief that if they are facing this fear, which is an external fear of this physical punishment, I think it's going to hamper their practice performance.
And then part five of my elements of the training session is actually my coaching. So now I feel that it is organized. It is game-like. There is lots of repetition and it's challenging on both sides. And just to repeat that challenging has success and failure because there's a learning environment for the players then I can really focus on coaching. How do I, A, coach the defenders to make it just a little bit harder on the attackers? That may be the way they press. That may be their compactness. That may be just their basic shape. To my attacking team, how they are playing to beat these defenders. So are they moving the ball? Is there a variation in speed? So do they play at the same speed all the time? Are the players checking and finding space through their mobility or are they standing in a shape where they're just waiting for something to happen? This is all where my coaching comes in. So in this example of the 4v4 to goal, I'm really looking for ways to set up a through ball. So a setup may be that the number eight plays to the number 11, who is the left winger, receives the ball now the ball is with the left winger, so the defense shifts across the field, which opens up space on the right side for the number seven, in theory. So then using that number 11 to set up the picture of playing to his feet, the ball goes back to the eight, which then just leaves a window of space for the seven to accelerate and to play into the spaces the number eight plays the through ball. So if my players are really struggling to find a way through, I'll give examples like that and say, do you see this? I played the ball here. Where does it go now? Yeah, absolutely. It comes back because where is open on the field? Now the players begin to see the picture. So I give them the chance to succeed or to fail on their own and give them an expectation. I expect you to break the line and score a goal. And then I'll help them along the way as I need to. Or it's all parts of my training session. Now, I can't really get to the fifth element, which is coaching, if those first four aren't organized, if they're not game-like, if it's not repetitive, if it's not challenging. Because if it's not, the coaching becomes irrelevant because I'm coaching something that is A, too easy, B, too hard, or just so ungame-like that it doesn't make sense. One of my favorite ones of a session I saw was, uh, and this, if you do this, this is fine, but um, four goals, northeast, south, and west around a square. And I just, I don't, I struggle to see the game-likeness or the realism of that because there's not four goals around the field. If they're small goals, that may be counters, but you have to explain this to the field, to the players, because one team is playing north to south and the other team is playing east to west when they win possession, which it just doesn't make sense. The game plays both ways. So I want one team to play one way and the other team to counter and play the opposite way. That to me is game-like. That's my understanding of the game. So if that sort of thing isn't in there, I don't go into my coaching. So go back to my post-practice with my field notes where I take that minute or two minutes to reflect and I answer those questions. Was it really game-like? Was I able to get to coaching? If I was coaching, did it work? If I didn't get to coaching, what do I need to do to get to that in the next practice. And that really encourages and enhances the value of using the same, if not similar practices that your players understand. And you can move through those four key elements quicker to get to the coaching side of the practice. 
So away from the field, there's a lot of material online. If you're active on Twitter, definitely check me out at Lee Dunn Soccer. I tend to try and participate in online discussions. There's a really good one with the hashtag soccer chat that happens on Sundays. And it's a really kind of inclusive group of coaches that are honestly providing A, their own way and B, questions or or comments on the way others are doing it too. So it's a really encouraging learning space. It's a safe space in that nobody I have never seen anyway in a space where somebody would say, that's ridiculous, don't do that. Never heard that. There may be questions to encourage you to maybe ask that question of yourself or think that way because Everybody may be thinking it, but they won't tell you straight up like that so much that it hurts your ego. It's more a case of, well, have you thought about something like this? So definitely don't be afraid to put yourself out there using social media such as Twitter. LinkedIn is another great platform to use. You'll find plenty of coaches on there that are active within organizations or active within professional organizations that are sharing their material, sharing stories. It's it's a really, again, it's a really good place to, to immerse yourself in a professional environment. People are out there living off of this, making a career out of it. And it's a really cool place to get involved with people. It's a really good place to ask for feedback or ask for suggestions or just participate and see what other people are doing, kind of shadowing. Unfortunately, if we're also busy with our own practices, it's really difficult to go and watch somebody else. And platforms like Twitter and LinkedIn are really valuable to, to use and to get out. Another suggestion I will make is to take classes, whether that is the next level of licensing from F through A through the USSF or even using the United Soccer Coach residential diplomas if you're at that level. They have the National Diploma, the Advanced National Diploma and the Premier Diploma. They are brilliant courses. I've taken them and you are just in an environment where everybody is trying to achieve the same thing. Everybody wants to get better. They have their own ideas. They have their own philosophies and approaches and, and way of working in certain environments. But there's such valuable spaces to sit and converse and ask your questions. And actually, I found that through those classes, you find a lot of time where you are just talking to people over lunch or over coffee or in the morning. And you can really pick people's brains. You can bring your own ideas forward and just begin to have almost a brainstorming session with people that are in very similar situations. And you'd be surprised at what you pick up as well as the main content from the course, of course. You'll pick up a lot from peers and that's a really valuable environment to take part in. If you are part of a club, they may hold their own field trainings too with directors of coaching. I definitely encourage any director of coaching to hold their own field sessions for their coaches to watch them or for their directors of coaching to actually get out and get on the field with their coaches during their own practices and provide some support, provide some feedback, and then actually lead parts of the session too because, again, we're also busy with our own schedules. It's really difficult to actually get out and do anything other than our own practices. So really using your director of coaching to 
A, run their own practices or come and support you in your practice. And the same goes for local leagues or local organizations that may have a vested interest in the wider soccer community. You'll often find they'll run symposiums or kind of weekend get-togethers. And I actually run one with the league in San Francisco where we run an annual symposium where it's just presenting ideas. If you work with a 7v7 or a 9v9 team, here are some ideas that you can take into your next season, into your next practice that we think may help you. It may, it may not, you may not like it, but it's a symposium. It's an idea. It's kind of idea sharing that we want you to participate in. And actually you're coming out, which means that it's probably going to be valuable for you. The people that we really want are going to be the ones that are there, that are going to be the ones entertaining the ideas or at least participating and then presenting their own ideas. That's what the the idea of the symposiums that I run. And then we use things like the Positive Coaching Alliance to, to include another message away from just performance and quality of practices. But we're developing these athletes that are also going to be humans, that are going to be integral parts of society and, and encourage the growth of the game. So it's really, for me as an individual, I'm working on myself, but then I'm also aware that what I'm working on is also encouraging the people and the players that I work with as they grow up. So really maximize any time that you have where you can take anything supplemental. So you get out, you watch other practices, you take part in courses. A lot of courses are online. You can peruse, instead of perusing your Instagram feed, you can definitely jump onto platforms like Twitter and LinkedIn and with a hashtag soccer search, you'll find a lot of material out there. Again, that hashtag of soccer chat is a really good chat thread to follow because you'll find not only really interesting threads of discussion, but you will also find interesting coaches and individuals to follow and to connect with. Everybody wants to connect. Everybody wants to share their ideas. And I think that you should get on there too and join the discussion. And I'll finish with myself being humbled. I would leave a practice, I'll leave a class, I'll leave a symposium and just have an open mind to being humbled all of the time. I know that part of success is winning or it's this kind of judge success that winning is saying I am being successful, but it's not always possible. Again, one team out of 20 in the Premier League can win the league. That doesn't mean 19 teams have been failures. There are lots of successes within each team, within their finishing place, within their performances. And it's really on you to begin to identify what those successes are going to be for you. A, from part one with regards to your players and the environment that your team has. And then from here with part two as to what you're doing as an individual to enhance and increase your own knowledge as well as what you're doing to support and foster the player development, the success for the team as individuals, and then as a team, and recognizing that you may not win the division, so what does that success really look like? And how are you achieving it? Are you following up every practice, every session, every week with your own little debrief on where you're at and how you're doing? Because if you do you will start seeing that success is going to be right in your hand 
as you are managing and adapting and adjusting your goals throughout the season. You start the season and say, we are going to win the league and you don't win the league. Well, without these successful goals on the way, you've failed. And that is what we may call a waste of time. But it's so true that you've missed so many learning opportunities for yourself and for your players if you are just driven to win the league. Again, you will miss so many opportunities if you just focus on winning the league, winning games, winning the tournament. I'll add in a note for Tactical Pad and their sponsorship of this podcast again because the material that you can create from their app or from their online tool is so valuable for your players. You can provide constant feedback, constant ideas, constant support for your players, for your coaching environment. And if you think about those elements of the training session, you can see what your practice will look like animated before you even get on the field. And what better way to really be prepared and really have an idea of what's going to happen in that practice than actually seeing it animated. And even better is you share it with your players. They see it. They understand what's being asked of them. And the chances of success are even higher. And the success isn't the win. It's the success of achieving the tactical or technical outcomes for every practice that you have with your players. And then finish with a wonderful quote from Einstein. The more I learn, the more I realize how much I don't know. Thanks for listening and look out for more material coming very soon.